Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, folks. This is the only podcast and the only time in human history when two brothers have talked to each other about their love of comic books. And that's what this podcast is about. And I'm one of the two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other brother, Kevin Hines. And when Will says in all of history, he also means in all of the future, all time, all time. This is the only time, past or future, yeah. that brothers talk about comic books. On a podcast. On a podcast there, or ever. There's a future uh, me- brain flash where two <laughs> brothers mention comic books one time. <laughs> brain flash is a future medium of communication. It's pretty stuff? big with uh, the kids, <laughs> young, young, <laughs> young people, which is like 50 and younger. Oh, because life expectancy goes way up. I mean, I don't want to spoil everything for everyone, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. We are in season five of our podcast, and we are discussing issues of the comic book The Sandman, the DC slash Vertigo fantasy horror comic book. Yeah. We're not discussing Um, Sandman, the Spider-Man villain, who turns himself into a big pile of sand and is also a favorite of ours. Though I wouldn't, I would understand it if you assumed we were. Yeah. This podcast was originally all about Spider-Man, and we broadened it to talk about other comics, which hurt the popularity of our podcast noticeably <laughs> <laughs> you you spoke to us you you did not like that change uh, yeah the readers the listeners were clear where they were out as soon as we stopped talking about spider-man but we just didn't we just like lots of comics so i mean it's too late now we, we couldn't go back <laughs> issue 39 and pretend nothing changed <laughs> If we ever end it, our final uh, episode should be whatever issue that was next. I guess we did issue 39, so like 40 or 41 or whatever we were on. (laughs) Um, This is, uh, so we're doing an issue, is it 17, I think, or 18? 17. Yeah, this is called Calliope. It's part of a collection of comics called Dream Country which was just a bunch of single-issue stories they did. We should be better about, I think, in this podcast, telling people what's next week's episode is going to be about. Uh, yeah, so we're going to do issue 22 next time, and um, which, is cha- which is chapter one of Season of Mists, although there is a prologue. There's mm-hmm. like a chapter yeah. zero. Basically. But this week we're doing issue 17, which is the first issue in Dream Country, the collection Dream Country, right? That's right. We're going to do that right now. Yeah. Um, Kevin and I are also super powerful comedians, in case yeah. you couldn't tell. We're performers, and uh, mm-hmm. we are improv comedians and we which we've taught and done for over a hundred years each did you like anchorman we did a better version of anchorman <laughs> that we didn't release just like in our living room yeah will ferrell's yeah. still in it but he's a smaller part yeah oh yeah he was there yeah yeah he said this is better than what i'm doing yeah and we said we're not releasing gonna... it he said uh then i'll release mine uh, so about the issue i'm just gonna segue away from that sure for, sure sure about the issue we're doing today so this is a standalone story it's one of my uh, favorites. It's really. I find it re- truly scary and horrifying. And uh, I should. I'm just gonna say right at the top. This story uh, has uh, sexual assault is a a part of this story. So if you if you're if you're not in the mood or place to hear about a story that has that happen in it, then you shouldn't listen to this episode. Yeah, skip to next episode. And sorry, uh, yes, that's horrible uh, and it's awful. There, and it's not treated <laughs> like a joke or anything. It's treated as an no, awful, no, it's, terrible it's, thing. It's but not. It, it's not treated as a cavalier here. thing. But it's in here, yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to include this story because I, I do, I, I find it sort of like compelling and uh, scary, uh, and um, it's also quite gruesome and brutal. And I think a, a Sandman, by the end of its run, gets more famous for its kind of like adorableness. And there's also like serious dark and bleakness in it. And so I wanted to highlight that, and the story has that. Yeah, I mean, it was initially more of a horror comic in the vein of like a Swamp Thing. Yeah, and then it, it and then elements of fantasy were in it, and then they 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 kind of like maybe became larger by the end of the series. C- yeah. Certainly, at least equal mix. But this is a this is a real creepy creepy story, and uh, Neil Gaiman's good at creepy stories, yeah. so I really this wanted issue, to go over it. As all of them are written by Neil Gaiman, drawn by Kelly Jones, who has uh, done a ton of. Uh, Batman comics, right? That's where I know him more from. Kelly Jones from doing like, uh, I think he did the Red Rain vampire Batman ones where his uh, ears go off panel. They're almost so long. 
um, <laughs> inked by Malcolm Jones the third, who's done some other stuff in this series we've already talked about. Uh, yeah, and this is the the look of this um, issue is like there's just lots of shadows mm-hmm. and noir and people hidden in the darkness and they lean forward and their faces obscured by shadows. It's just a real creepy issue. Kelly Jones is good at horror. I think he's doing a horror comic now for, for the Joe Hill imprint, but I forget what it's called. Um, but yeah, he's good at that stuff. He's good at creepy stuff. And also like exaggerated EC comics faces almost. Oh yeah. Don't I mean like just reading this issue like the uh like Tales from the Crypt style. Yeah, stuff. yeah. The the previous the uh the previous writer has sort of a exaggerated chin and large nose when you see him in this comic. Oh yeah, in this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you think of this issue, Kev? I liked it. It's good. I, this one I remember pretty well. Um, I was still, this is still one I've read multiple times versus the later ones, which I've only read once. Uh, and this one it, uh, uh, is horrifying and awful, but very readable and fun. And it's a cool idea for a story. I found it a really compelling, just sort of like an idea the way, like, I don't know, like a lot of short stories, they're told well, but then sometimes just the premise is compelling. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those, I think. Yeah, I think that's true of uh, last week's episode uh, with Hob and this one as well. They feel like cool short story ideas, even if you removed Sandman. Uh, You need something to end this story, but you don't need... It doesn't have to be Sandman for this story to be... Right, yeah, that's what makes Sandman unique and sort of hard to describe what's good about it is just the writing is good. Like, the stories are good. Like, a lot of superhero comics have a compelling central character or a unique power set or beautiful art. And a lot of that is in play in Sandman comics. But the main reason you come back is Neil Gaiman knows how to spin a yarn. Yeah. And I would say like at least a third of the stories, like I was saying, don't need Sandman. They're just good stories. Uh, yeah. Sandman plays an integral part generally, or yeah, he's, he's very replaceable in this one. Uh, and then other ones, he is, you know, a central character. So this is a story of Calliope, one of the muses, and a down-on-his-luck writer captures her and uses her to give him ideas for stories. That's that's the premise of this. Uh, even a little worse, he buys her from someone else who captured her so that she's already been he, captured like, ins- forever. He enslaves her. Yeah. Um, yes, it's really gruesome. And, and another, another reason I quote-unquote like the story is the bad guys are really bad. Like, there's just truly evil people in play here. Mm-hmm. And uh, although that's unsettling, makes for a good story. Yeah. Like a real bad guy makes for a compelling story. You don't feel, we got you don't two, feel bad for this guy two, when he gets his just desserts at the end. No way. No way. There's two real bad guys in this yeah. story. So we open on the first one, and he's kind of our central character. I guess Calliope's our central character, but our human protagonist is, an, is a writer named Richard Maddock. His opening line is, I don't have any idea, and he is buying a weird, gross hairball from a medical... Yeah, he's looking. he was looking for a, a bezoar, which is, I guess, some sort of a, a buildup in the stomach of some sort. Uh, and, no, um, and this one happens to be a hair bezoar. Lots of things I love about the story, and it, like, a lot of good horror stories, I find, you start sort of, like, a degree removed. Like, there's, like, a little prologue of creepiness before you get to the real creepiness. It's like, you're in Transylvania, and the wolves and everything are weird, and then you get to Castle Dracula. Like, you're already creeped out mm-hmm. by like the pub where no one's talking to you and then you get to the real creepiness and so this kind of solves that this kind of follows that in that this writer Richard Maddock is buying just a clump of hair that a medical student says he carved out of a woman's stomach a, a dead a woman who had died like there was yeah. not a murder for this but like and you don't know why our man wants this but he's buying it right you know he's an author because the medical student asks him to sign his book says I'm a big fan yeah. Yep, so we know that this is like a, not, you know, a successful author. There's a book is called The Cabaret of Dr. Caligari. Mm-hmm. He's being cagey about what he needs this big hairball for, called a trichno bezoar, uh, however you say yeah. it. And the, the fan, the, the medical student's like, oh, I heard the sequel's coming out. How's that going? Uh, he says, I'm really excited. And the author looks kind of pained. He goes, oh, great. Then the medical student leaves. The author's phone rings. He talks to his publisher who's asking, well, come on, where's the new book you're supposed to have a draft done, and then he hangs up, and we find out that he's not written any of his Yeah, he's book. got a severe case of writer's block. He tosses his his hair, his hair Stomach ball, ball into a paper bag and hits the road. Even just like the gruesome story, I, I rushed by it, I, and I want to go back to it. 
When the medical student is explaining what this hairball is, he goes, this is a trichnobezoar. It's made of hair. I cut it out of a young woman's stomach this afternoon. Lovely long hair she had. Trouble was, she'd been sucking it, chewing it, swallowing the hairs. Must have been doing it for years. Like, that's such a gruesome image, and it's on page one. Mm -hmm. And it is not even in the top five most horrible things that are going to happen in this comic. But it, like, sets the tone of just, like hidden world of gruesomeness that you the reader don't know about and this woman who's got a lifelong habit of eating her hair here's the product of it yeah it's it's a weird gross thing that we don't really even find out well we know why this guy needs it we don't understand he gives it somebody else we don't know why that guy needs it really he says but we just don't know if it works out i guess it doesn't work out for him so yeah we we now know that our man, Richard Maddock, is supposed to be writing a sequel to his successful book, and he's got writer's block and cannot write, even write one word. Mm-hmm. And you know, he brings his hairball to some other place, an old man answers, and this is our and now our two evil men are going to talk to yeah, each other. Yeah, this is Erasmus Fry. Yes, he's an old man, um, and he lets the young guy in, but he's kind of a little shit. He's kind of rude. Like, he invites him in. He goes, ah, an excuse for Sherry. Cheap stuff, of course. I'm not wasting the good stuff on a little shit like you. Yeah. And then he then he does say what he wants the hairball for. He goes, um, let me tell you about Bezoars. Word comes from the Persian, Padzar. It means counterpoison, antidote, mainly found in the stomachs of goats and gazelles. Once believed to possess mystic powers, they can remedy poison, make the sick well. Edward the Fourth. Survive the effects of a poisoned wound due solely to a bezoar in his possession. This is like commonplace in Sandman comics. Like characters yeah. are constantly like trading myths and like stories of like hidden secrets and but stuff. But we don't like necessarily that. know why he wants it, right? We know this is some sort of cure all, but we don't know what he needs a cure for. Oh, uh, I guess I just assume he's sick and he's dying. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't know specifically, but what I love about the story is this spell is being cast. First, this description of his hairball. Now we're meeting this creepy old man who's telling us the story of these like hairballs and the whatever. And then the young man breaks down and tells him to shut up. These two guys are both like just irritable assholes. Yeah. He's like, will you shut up? I haven't written a word in a year. Nothing I haven't thrown away. Do you know what that's like when it's just you and a blank sheet of paper? When you can't think of a single thing worth saying, a single character that people could believe in, a single story that hasn't been told a thousand times before. Um, and the old man this, with this super evil look on his face, he does look very Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This page in particular, he looks uh, definitely like a character out of those stories for sure. Of course I know what it's like. Don't be a fool, boy. Let me see my present. And then he starts making reference to the person who's going to be sort of the real central character, Calliope. Yeah. Although he doesn't refer to her by name. Yeah, he takes her. He takes her to a room. He's got like he's got a key. Has to unlock her. He also loves how stinky the bezoar is because there's food particles stuck in the hair. He's, he's sort of into it and for all the wrong reasons. But he takes her to a room. He talks about the hardest part was getting her back to England. Uh, they say one ought yeah. to woo her kind, but I must say I found force most efficacious. Efficacious? Eff- I don't know how to say that word. Uh, efficacious. I sure. Think. Uh, and after all, I got the fame and the glory. I created the novels, the poems, the plays. I don't need her anymore, Maddock. And you do. Here she is. So like, it's like, what we're talking about a woman. We're talking about a person like this trade is for a person. Like the creepiness of the story is just ratcheting up. And then we get to the splash page titled Calliope. And we see her a naked blonde girl who looks starved. Like her ribs are showing. Yeah. A prisoner and a slave of Erasmus Fry being given to Richard Maddock. Yeah, uh, a completely dark room. Uh, like she's the only thing you can see in this room. It's pitch black. This is a muse. This is a muse of ancient Greek times who can inspire you with ideas. You know, we talk about the muse visiting and stuff like that. The muse inspiring. And of course, it's never explained. Why treat her like crap? Like, do you need to just like lock her in mm-hmm. that like lock her in an attic and like starve her. And I mean, even if you were going to (laughs) capture her for your artistic good, is the brutality necessary? Like the evilness of these two guys is gross, but like I say, it makes them good, bad guys. Yeah. uh, Calliope, when she finds out she's being given to this new guy is upset. She says, but you said, you told me you promised that you would free me before you died. You said I could have my freedom. And then uh, Erasmus quotes something, put not your trust in princes, my dear, nor in an aging author who has never been what might, would one might call a shining example when it came to keeping his word. Writers are liars, my dear. Surely you have realized that by now? And she's crying. Yeah. And 
Richard puts a coat on her and takes her with him. Yep. Take the little cow away, Maddox. I never want to see either of you again. And and she is a woman, but she is also obviously Calliope is like dream something else. She is an other world entity. But yeah, he's he's ushering her away, treating her like a property, a piece of uh, uh, goods. He gets her to his apartment. She lies him on his bed. This is the sexual assault I mentioned. He rapes her. Uh, I remember like just as a kid, like reading this being like, my God, this is like a harsh. I think I was yeah 19 when I read this story and I was like, my God, this is crazy. And it's like, yeah, his first action was to rape her nervously in the musty old camp bed. She's not even human, he told himself. She's thousands of years old, but her flesh was warm. Her breath was sweet. She choked back tears like a child whenever he hurt her. And it kind of like establishes him as this like evil guy. Like, yeah, there's no co- there's no coming back from this in the reader's eye. Like he is the villain. Yeah, now. He's trying to convince himself it's not OK, but he observes all the reasons why it is wrong, what he is doing. Yeah. And this is page um, eight of the story. It's so early. Uh, then he, then we see him down at his desk, still kind of half-dressed. It occurred to him momentarily that the old man might have cheated him, given him a real girl, that he, Rick Maddock, might possibly have done something wrong, even criminal. But afterwards, relaxing in his study, something shifted inside his head. He switched on the word processor to write it down before it fled. He'd been writing for three hours before he surfed enough to, surfaced enough to realize he had begun his second novel. And it turns out, He's got a real life muse in his attic. Yeah, she inspires an entire book. It just pours out of him, and it's a it's going to be a hit. Well, it's going to be a huge hit. It's going to be a huge hit. This guy, and I guess this is like what I mean by a compelling idea. Like, if anybody's ever had a dream of being creative, what if you could be given some magic element that just made you full of great ideas? Yeah, how quickly would it corrupt you if you're this guy completely instantly? <laughs> Yeah, right away you are fully evil. Um, so we cut away from him writing the novel. We see Calliope begging the fates to rescue her. Yeah, uh, there's the fates are like the old woman, the middle-aged woman, and the young woman. Uh, also, from... they, they show up a lot in Sandman. Oh, great! Are uh, they uh, like the Justice League of this comic book? Put it in terms I That's can right. understand. Yeah, this is like this is like I guess like the Daily Bugle staff. Oh, great. This okay, is like fantastic. Robbie Robertson, J. Jonah Jameson, and Ben and Ben Urich. Oh, great, great! I like these characters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they show up and they refuse to help her <laughs> or they say they yeah, can't she help like, her. I mean, they don't refuse. Yeah. She begs for their help. These are the fates. And they say like, no, the Erasmus, when he captured you, he did it properly. He cast the right spell or whatever. So you are lawfully bound to, to this guy. Then she asks, is there nothing you can do? No one who can intercede on my behalf. And uh, the fates respond. There are a few of the old powers willing uh, there are a few of the old powers willing or able to meddle in mortal affairs in these days, Calliope. Many gods have died, my daughter, while aspects of other gods have been lost forever. Sort of almost, this is hinting at American gods ideas right here from Neil Gaiman. This, yeah, this is a big Neil Gaiman thing, which is like the gods are alive, but they have been forgotten. And they're sort of been weakened mm-hmm. by the lack of attention and they miss the old days. There's a lot of just like kind of supernatural old timey figures in our realm longing for the old days uh, and then the last fate says only the endless will never die and even they are having a difficult time of late still every little bit right. helps as the old woman said when she pissed in the sea which is an interesting turn of phrase it's an interesting turn of phrase and the fates um so like you say there's an old woman a middle-aged woman and a young woman but every time we see them they've they each keep constantly switching like the woman who is oh, yeah, I didn't young even in one that. panel, she, she becomes middle-aged in the next, and uh, the old woman will be, become young. Like they're, they're always, each of them, cycling through the modes. I didn't even notice that. Or maybe just um, terrible storytelling. Maybe all of Sandman is bad. <laughs> uh, they mention, uh, so they're talking about the Endless, and the Endless is the, the beings of which Dream is one. Yeah. And they say, the Dream King and Calliope were close long ago for a short while, weren't you, my pet? Not for long. And remember, sister self, they did not part on the best of terms, but she did bear his cub. And this is where we learn that Sandman had a partner and fathered a child. Yeah, he's got a child. This is when we learn that? That's, uh, uh, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. This is where we because find we're that skipping out. around, I don't remember certain, necessarily where certain facts become known. 
it's sort of a thrown away thing in this. Yeah, but it becomes a huge part of the Sandman mm-hmm. continuity. Uh, his relationship to his son and how they're estranged and how he tries to mend ways far, far future in the series. Yeah, but this is kind of a thrown away thing. What matters to this story is Calliope, you used to be Sand, Sandman was your boyfriend and he is king of dreams. Maybe he can help. Right. You. And, and they say like, but you guys kind of had a big fight. It sounds like it didn't you didn't end well. And then also this story takes place a little bit in the past from one of our previous issues or this so part of the story. Captured. Yeah. And they say uh, he is immured beneath the ground. This is he is still captured at this point yeah. as he was before issue one. He's actually been captured just a little bit longer than her. It says she got captured in 1927 and he was captured for about 70 years. Is that what we remember saying? He got captured during World War I, so yeah. like 1914 or 15 he gets captured. So, And they refer to him as Oni Ross? Yeah. It's another fun thing. Of re- I guess some people might be annoyed by this, but you have to kind of guess by context clues all the different names that they have for the Dream King. Like all the different cultures have like different names, for, although frequently have different names for him. Yeah, I mean, they refer to him as the Dream King, so we know who they're talking about, but they're giving him a different name. And we just sort of accept that uh, statement that he's got multiple names. Calliope's a prisoner and they, they the, the fates are leaving and she's like, please send someone, anyone, even owner. Yeah. And then she reminisces about when Erasmus Fry captures her. She was bathing. She left her scroll alone. And Kevin, you don't ever leave your scroll unattended. I mean, that is, I, I don't want a victim blame. Well, no, you should. but uh, if you're going out there, if you're going to take a bath in a public area, I mean, lock your scroll up on one of those lockers, get the key, wear that around your wrist. Don't just leave it on the, yeah. the side of the, the pond. But that's what she did. Yeah. And a young, incredibly evil looking Erasmus Fry sneaks up and burns her scroll. He's got a Joker vibe in that panel. Oh, he's terrible. Uh, which one are you? He had asked her. Calliope, she told him. Calliope, he had echoed as if he were tasting her name. And then he smiled. Well, he said, you can call me master. Like he was an asshole from second yeah. one. He was prepared for this move. I mean, he came with... The molly flowers, which were the key part of the ingredient, which is the fates had mentioned. Like he had the molly uh, flowers, uh, whatever that means. Um, But it's part of this ritual. So, yeah, he captured her and he captured her well. And so she's interrupted by Richard Maddock, who has finished the first draft of his novel. He spent five weeks, two drafts in five weeks, and it's all good stuff. She's like, I'm pleased for you. Now will you let me go? Are you out of your mind? This is just the beginning. Come here, gorgeous. Let's make two and a half minutes of squelching noises. Like, why is that part of it? Yeah. You got the book. Like, and also, yeah, why do you need to talk about it so foully? Uh, but again, it helps him be somebody we hate. So then there's like a montage where we see over the next like two years, he has this incredible rise to fame because he is just able to create and create and create all genius ideas. This first panel on page uh, 12 looks almost like a mad magazine. Um, the lighter side of art, uh, book, book uh, release parties or something. Yeah. There's just a bunch of caricatures of rich hipster snobs at a release of his novel. And uh, what's the name of the book? And my love gave me some, my love. She gave me light. Yeah. There's also this interesting passage in that panel where he's talking to a woman and she goes, I loved your characterization of Eileen. There aren't enough strong women in fiction. He goes, actually, I do tend to regard myself as a feminist writer, which uh, in the last few years, I I feel like you see that a lot where like uh, uh, creators who were considered uh, feminist writers from the outside, like, oh, they write these strong women. They seem to uh, (laughs) have strong women characters turn out to be like creeps or something. Uh, Warren Ellis is the latest of those that I'm aware of Uh, where he has done a lot of terrible things. But like my... uh, perception of him as someone who didn't know him or anything about what he was doing is like oh this guy seems like a positive figure a male figure towards women and it's like oh no he was a real creep yeah Uh, and so it just feels like neil gaiman always is just putting word to these ideas that um i should have always been aware of i guess but i was not uh he's also just kind of darkly funny neil gaiman is like he goes, I do tend to regard myself as a feminist writer, a heck of a thing from a guy we just saw him assaulting, yeah. raping Calliope, not, or, he, we, or you heard him referring to it the page before. And then this woman says, so tell me, where do you get your ideas? And that's like one of those things that you hear that creative people are always asked and they don't know how to answer mm-hmm. it. But in this case, we do know how to answer it. He enslaved a muse and is abusing her. That's yeah. where he gets his ideas. 
Uh, we see him being an absolute asshole as he rides up through success, demanding to direct films, firing an agent, making smug jokes as he talks about his play. He's just an arrogant shit, isn't he? Yeah, he fires his agent, and then the next panel, which is a little bit later, he makes a joke about firing his agent. Like, when he's firing his agent, he's like, hey, I'm sorry, man, I'm really sorry. And then the next panel, he's making a light of it, which is yeah. such, such a jerk move. Also, it's crazy to imagine an author being in demand to write the screenplay treatment, no matter how good they yeah. are, right? It's yeah. usually like, I don't know necessarily how it goes, but it feels like sometimes Hollywood tries them, sometimes they don't want to, even, no matter how good they are, right? Like, yeah. you can do a draft. <laughs> like This guy's like, I want to direct. It's like, do you have any experience directing? Yeah, Stephen King didn't direct until he had written like 12 bestsellers yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, it's, it seems crazy. There's a creepy little moment in this montage where there's a shot of a like attic with bars. Yeah, he gets a new house that looks like a, a just a castle with a dungeon in, uh, or a, a yeah, like a, a princess's yeah. tower up at the top to be rescued. Rick Maddock buys a new house in Chelsea. He's busy on pre-production for the film and most of the moving is done for him. He moves his most valuable possession himself though, late one spring night. Ominous hidden life. Yeah, his movie's a huge hit. He eventually does get to direct his movie. It's a huge hit. When it's nominated for Oscars uh, and the madness of crowds is the name of that movie. This looks pretentious yeah. and rude. I don't think I'd like it. Um, what don't we, so we're, he's at his peak here and I think that might be a good place for us to take our yeah, break. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. We're back. Uh, now this comic gets real silly. Yeah, huge, huge tonal turn where it just becomes a vaudevillian slapstick yeah. laugh a minute. No, it stays blue. Uh, we cut back to Calliope and the Sandman off panel, but speaking in his normal dark speech balloon with white letters is talking to his ex-girlfriend. Right, the first panel, we just see her saying to herself, or seemingly to herself, to an empty room, oh, it's you. Not excited, just sort of flatly. They they told me that you had been in prison just like me. Yeah, they spoke the truth. I was imprisoned, but as you can see, I am free now. Uh, then please, by the love I once had for you, by whatever you felt for me, please make him give me my freedom. Make him let me go. We don't yet know what Sandman says in reaction to that, yeah. but we do see a really interesting interview where somebody is interviewing Richard Maddock and makes a connection between him and Erasmus Fry. Uh, just, yeah, about how successful this guy is. He reminds him of how successful Erasmus Fry is and then mentions uh, that he's dead. The late 1940s right. cult figure, Erasmus Fry. And the author says, you said the late he's dead? Yeah, and the guy goes, last summer, did you know him? And, of course, he wants to cover up his connection because he has this yeah. insidious history with Erasmus. Yeah, I didn't know him. We met on a couple of occasions. He was interested in my work. Yeah, it's, he, I, I get the impression that in this that this dude has noticed their work is similar. Yeah. And it kind of they're being inspired by the same muse. Because yeah. so, they also mention when this guy writes his second book that it's, very, it's a departure from his first book. Much more epic and yeah. uh, flowery, and and this this he we see Richard Maddock having a meal with this host after the interview. I guess maybe he wants to find out more about Erasmus. Yeah, it seems like it. I uh, finds out that uh, he Erasmus he's like poisoned himself. Yeah, we don't know the story there. Uh, the last thing he did was write a letter to his old publishers, begging them to bring one of his books back into print. Here comes a candle, I suppose, says Richard. And Erasmus, we skipped over this. Had had asked Richard. Hey, when you get successful with this muse, maybe get my people to bring this book back. He's got an attachment to this book. Yeah, which is weird since at that point he still had Clyde, but you think he could have gotten that book brought back himself at that moment. But We don't know the story with Erasmus. Like He must have had the same success Richard Maddock is yeah. having, right? Yeah. It but it's like, in his past or something? Yeah, just uh, uh, peaking before the 80s, I guess. But yeah, he must have had it. So Richard Maddock gets home, and waiting for him in his living room is 
The Dream King. Yeah. Uh, uh, as you would picture a, uh, an endless other being in a leather jacket, uh, bl- <laughs> jet black hair that seems dyed, uh, uh, yeah. combed into Robert his Smith eyes. Robert Smith of the Cure styled hair. Yeah. yeah, his like sort of emo rock band persona in a Richard Maddox starts threatening him. Get out of here. I'll call the police. Doesn't quite know that he's threatening a god. Be quiet. Yeah. And the salmon starts letting him. You are keeping a woman imprisoned here, Richard Maddox, keeping her against her will. I've come to request that you set her free. I, I remember it scaring me when I read this. It's like, oh, my God, what is the Dream Lord going to do? Uh, initially, that's not. If, if this guy just said yes, he sort of would be OK. He wouldn't create yeah, anything more. Got, his, 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 his fame would peter out. But he would have um, he would have made it right. He would have gotten a movie and a book and a play yeah. and he, he would have gotten away. And he with could have just like retired. And, yep. and still been like, everyone would be like, oh, you got to write something else. And just be like, no, I don't need to. And no one would be yep. mad about that. Uh, what I like here is Richard Maddock tries threatening him. Sandman says nothing. And then he kind of caves, goes, you're going to call the police? Is that it? Because he knows he's done something wrong. Yeah. And maybe because Calliope is a supernatural figure, he sort of senses, oh, this is another supernatural figure. So I've messed with something big. Yeah. No, I will not call any human agency. Just let her go. And then we see the Maddock, it maybe is most sniveling. Yeah. You don't understand. I need her. If I didn't have her, I wouldn't be able to write. I wouldn't have ideas. I can't free her yet. Not now. Maybe in a year. Look, I have money, an awful lot of money. And that just pisses Sandman yeah. off. And now we begin the awesome revenge portion of yes. this story. Uh, Sandman says, hold your tongue. Doesn't want to hear anything about this bribe. This guy's basically getting ready to <laughs> offer uh, yeah. the essence of dreams. Uh, she's been held captive for more than 60 years, stripped of all possessions, demeaned, abused, and hurt. I know how she must feel, which we know literally because he was the same thing happened to him. Uh, 70 years. I guess he didn't get raped at least, but otherwise uh, similar situations. Uh, And you will not free her because you need the ideas. You disgust me, Richard Maddock. You want ideas. You want dreams. You want stories. Then ideas you will have. Ideas in abundance. This I love. It's like and you can sort of see where it's coming, uh, well, where it's going from there. But uh, it's fun to see it play yeah. out. Neil Gaiman does this a lot, where like the king of dreams is also sort of the king of stories. Like he's sort of just in charge of stories. Weird. And so like he kind of cares about writers and artists and stuff like that. And so even though he can't make her let Calliope go because it was done with the proper spells or whatever, as the king of dreams, he can flood this guy with inspiration. Too much inspiration. But at first he thinks it's just a bad nightmare. Nothing happens initially. Uh, He sort of comes to and Sandman is gone. Dream is gone. And he goes to confront Calliope about giving him this bad dream. Are you doing that? Giving me nightmares? Are you doing it? She's silent. Tell me. Tell me or so help me. Isle, Isle. And she goes, no, I'm not doing it, Richard Maddock. You've met Onerous, who the Romans call the shaper of form. He was once my lover. He was the father of my son. I didn't know you'd ever had a son. You know nothing about me, Richard. I am real. I'm more than a receptacle for your seed or an inspiration for your tales. Still, it's too late now to let that concern you. She kind of knows. Oh, you're fucked. Yeah. Oh, Dream King got involved on my behalf. You are in yeah. trouble. Uh, this guy goes out in the street just to buy a newspaper, uh, and then it hits. Yeah, the guy makes small talk, like, oh, I recognize you. Uh, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to a party. And then he just starts spewing out ideas for stories. Yeah, like, you know, I could write a whole story set at a party. Possibly something could have happened to the world outside a holocaust of some kind. These people are partying against the darkness. Uh, and then we can hear sort of voices off, off, yeah, off panel, like trying to give him his change. But he just keeps sort of spewing out ideas. Yeah, the fraternity of critics. In reality, a dark brethren linked by profane rites and blood vows. To destroy an author, they sacrifice a child, perform a critical mass. A city in which the streets just, are paved with time. A train full of silent women plowing forever through the twilight. Heads made of light, a small piece of blue cardboard, a plum, sweet and tart and cold. A ware goldfish who transforms into wolf at full moon. <laughs> he And he's like, a lot of these do sound like they could be Sandman comics ideas, mm-hmm. by the way. Like, they sound like they would fit in a lot of Neil Gaiman stories. It, it's not like these are just passing thoughts, right? He's on his hands and knees. He's fully possessed by these ideas. He can't stop paying attention to yeah, them. Some of them sound great. A man who inherits a library card to the library in Alexandria. That seems cool. Ooh. A man who falls in love with a paper doll. The sun setting over the Parthenon. Shark's teeth soup. A crowd is surrounding him. This is sort of like a weird like time jump. We kind of don't know how long he's in this state. Yeah. 
Um, but the the medical student who gave him the hairball stumbles upon this crowd, recognizes him, uh, and he's crazy. He's like fully insane. Yeah, he's just responding so he, with mostly ideas. I'm just having ideas. So many. An old man in Sunderland who owned the universe and who kept it in a jam jar in the dusty cupboard under his stairs. Yeah, I love it. A sestina about silence using the key words dark, ragged, never, screaming, fire, and kiss. Man, when I first read this, I, I loved I was like, a sestina? That's like a very strict poetry form, right? Yeah. Like a sonnet? That's funny. There, there, he's in an alley and there's blood on the walls, which we find out what that's about in a second. Yeah, this guy takes him to his... Home? I, yeah, maybe his home. His home is just no, around, it's, it's home. Um, takes him to his home, which is around the corner, brings this guy in, and he sees that his hands are just like shredded. Bloody stumps. Yeah. What did you do to your hands? All the pictures in my head, I had to get them down, but I didn't have any paper or ink, so I used the wall and my fingertips. So he just scraped his fingers against the wall, like bleeding out the uh, the ideas. He's babbling here. It's her revenge, you see, or his revenge. I said I needed the ideas, but they're coming so fast, swamping me, overwhelming me. You have to make them stop. And this guy offers him a sedative, and he's like, no, no, go to my house. Go to the attic. There's a woman. Set her free. Yeah, he's like scratching his face off while this is all happening too. It's I. It's really a lovely, gruesome revenge story. Like this asshole has carved his fingers to a stump. He's covered his face in blood. Yeah, he hands this. The medical student does what he says. Like, okay, I'll go free whatever woman you have captured. He has no idea what's going on. Has this key? Goes to the house. Opens the door. There's nobody in there. But there is a copy of Here Comes a Candle by Erasmus Fry. Um, it's and the little subtitle on it is uh, she was his muse and the slave of his lust. So he wrote a book about Calliope, yeah. which also I think is what Richard Maddox's first book was about. Um, like, and she brings him the light or something like. Oh yeah, that. here comes a candle. That's a similar sounding title. Yeah, they like both wrote stories about her initially, and then like his um, uh, movie was in the madness of crowds because so, he's going crazy. Maybe like there's something to that. Yeah. The spirit who had half of everything was his, uh, was it a play or a Yeah, poem? everything he's writing seems to be somewhat about his situation. Mm-hmm. Calliope's not in the attic. She's gone. And now we see she's freed and she's hanging out with the Dream King. Yes. Uh, they're sort of just. And they have, and they have a little talk. They were a couple. They broke up badly. One of the things we learned about the Sandman is that he is, before his imprisonment, he was extremely harsh to his ex He basically was like a mopey teenager. Like, if he broke up with somebody, he hated them forever. He could never talk to them. He banished lovers to hell. He, like, was just cruel to people. Yeah. And she says to him, you've changed, Onerous. In the old days, you would have left me to rot forever without turning a hair. Do you still hate me for what I did? Because, no, I no longer hate you, Calliope. I've learned much in recent times, and no matter, I do not hate you, child. And then Calliope says something I can't believe, which is, I think you should release the mortal now. He has set me free. Yeah. She's, like, more generous to him in this one second than he ever was to her. Yeah. And if that is what you wish, it is done. And then she kind of wants to see Sandman. Maybe I could visit you in the dream realm. It would be nice to see you again properly. What do you think? I do not think that would be a good idea, Calliope. No, perhaps it wouldn't. Well, thank you. And this is like... The be- beginning of a pattern, which is he tries to make amends with a lot of the people he's wronged. Yeah. Like in this case, it's only sort of a side element of this story. But in the arc of the Sandman comic, this becomes the over story of the right. series. And that's what makes uh, this more than just a short story. It makes it part of the series is that little connective tissue of like he's changed. And we don't know that because as readers, we've only seen this version of him. Um, but we're seeing everyone's reaction to him. And we'll see like when he starts meeting up with his family members more and more, he's different to them. Uh, yeah. And like that is sort of, you know, that's what kicks off. That's the pilot a moment, right? That's the thing that like triggers this story is about the Sandman having changed. What changed him? Being imprisoned for 70 to 80 years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, sometimes Sandman is presented almost like a 22-year-old frail man, and sometimes he seems like a 60-year-old weathered, de- like, old guy. He seems like a weathered old guy here. Yeah. But we cut back to Richard Maddock, and Richard Maddock is better. His memories are actually fading. Yeah. Like, he's unable to hold on to an idea. He can't even quite remember Morpheus. He's trying to hold on to that meeting. Yeah, Morpheus? Orpheus? One of those. Which wasn't either of those weren't the names he was given, but though there would be the name that we know dream as. And then he, we see the image of Sandman sort of fading into uh, whiteness and the Richard Maddock ends with the um, same dialogue. He began the issue. She's, she's gone. You see and gone with her, everything, all the dream, all of them, all the dreams. I can't remember. I've lost it. It's gone. I've got no idea anymore. No idea at all, which is the first line of the No idea at all. Issue. Yeah. A gruesome, dark, compelling tale. Again, in the context of just reading comic books, this was a DC comic book. I don't know. Maybe it had the Vertigo imprint by now. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't but remember like, when that sh- shift happened. I mean, it was clearly a different book. A, 
you go to a comic book store and like pick up an issue. And if you read this one, you'd be like, oh, my God, what? Yeah, this is so different than everything. It really stood out. Yeah, it's definitely what comics could start doing now that there were comic shops. Right. I mean, you couldn't yeah. have done you couldn't have sold this at a 7-Eleven at a newsstand. This is something else. There is something just about like. I mean, some people are just good at telling stories. I feel like Ed Brubaker is good at telling stories. I feel like Peter David is good at like telling stories. Just some, some people are good at that one issue yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't even think our, our favorites from the old days, like Steve Ditko and Kirby, were good at this particular type of thing. Like this wasn't really their jam. No, I mean, well, they both they did, they both did a ton of short stories, right? Like eight pagers, ten pagers, things like yeah. that. Um, but they were more churning them out. Uh, who knows what they could have done if they really. If they were born in another era, um, yes. If the if the context had been different or something, but, you know, they were born in an era of just like we need six stories, get them out now. Richard Maddock is one of the all time great villains of the whole Sandman series. I mean, like Lucifer is in the next arc, and Lucifer is nowhere near as bad a guy as Richard. Yeah, Lucifer is not so bad. Lucifer is quite charming yeah. and like a guy that you kind of root for. And of course, he spins off into his own comic. Richard Maddox shows up now and that now and then again. Oh, he does. And in the end of the series, in the wake after the Sandman dies, you revisit Richard Maddock briefly. I was reading the wiki page about this, and it mentions that Erasmus Fry, well, a book by Erasmus Fry, shows up in Dreams Library. Yeah, um, like a, a novel he didn't write, I guess. Right, because that's the library in the in the um, dream. Uh, what are they in the dreaming? Is the library of books that were not yet written? Yeah, I think that this story represents one of the ingredients of Sandman: the gruesome, brutal, terrifying short story. Yeah, uh, this guy gets off. It's still. It's, I mean, he he he. His mind gets wiped in a way, but he gets off easy. If if uh, he gets off easy, but when you see him again later, you see him that he kind of mentally disintegrates. Like yeah. he becomes kind of a. Dummy I would still mind. say that's getting off easy. I I, I do too. If, if I he do hadn't too. been released from, if Clive he hadn't released him from this curse, it would be way worse. Um, well, there is a guy at the end of the very first arc, the guy who imprisoned Sandman, or the son of the guy who imprisoned him and wouldn't let him go, is cursed with forever waking up from a dream oh. and he's just like that the rest of his life like he is just perpetually in a dream and then waking up into another dream that sounds terrible and i think that ends that ends when sandman dies like in the last issues he's released from that <laughs> as an as an old old man or uh, so I don't know, some people get cursed to a hell a hellish existence but i mean sandman wouldn't have released this guy he only did it because calliope uh suggested it that's right so She's she's a better person than he is. That is also shown later in the series. We see her again and Morpheus's son, which is weirdly Orpheus. He named him after himself with one less letter. Kevin, did you think about naming your son Evan? Yeah, I did. Most people do that. Well, it's a normal <laughs> it's a normal thing to do. That's the first thing you think of. That's that's where you start. <laughs> well, I, I and, and it's weird to say and Orpheus is the character say, from the myth that uh, goes to hell, right, to get his yes. His, his he's this brilliant musician whose um, wife goes to hell and he sings for Hades and Hades is so charmed that he lets her go on the condition that he not look back. Yeah. But he looks back and she's. And that story her. is uh, adapted in the Justice League international story. Uh, oh, just really? connecting it to previous season. Yeah. And one of the I can't believe it's not Justice League stories does that with ice. Uh, oh, wow. Neither guy or fire can turn and look back or she won't make it out. And fire turns. Ugh. Uh, and Guy's not mad at her. I don't think. He's just, they both cry. And it's really sad. Uh, yeah. And like, I think Guy just keeps saying, like, it wasn't really her. It was all a trick. You can't believe that was her. Like, which it might not. Yeah. And it's unclear whether it was really her. And, you know, it's a comic book. Uh, just trying to connect all our seasons into one thing. Yeah. How can we connect it to Spider-Man somehow? I think we already did that. I guess the Sandman. Yeah, Sandman. Sandman. It's, it's permanently attached to, to Sandman. Sandman and Invention <laughs> of Steve Ditko. Anything with that name, yeah. he gets partial credit for. <laughs> if anybody's um, read this story for the first time, I'd be curious to know what you think of it. And if anybody's reading Sandman for the first time, please email us at screwitspidey at gmail. Any thoughts on Sandman comics at all? Like it? Hate it? Bored by it? Love it? Well, I, we'd love to hear yeah. it. Uh, we do have a few emails as well, if you want to read some. I would love to hear great. some. Uh, we have our Benjamin Ordung email. Let's do it. Uh, great. History, context, question. That's right. History. I instantly fell in love with Spider-Man. When given the chance to expand my comic purchasing power, I avoided the Fantastic Four, X-Men, Justice League, and Avengers comics. I started reading Hulk, Wolverine, Superman, and Batman, but stayed clear of any groups. Context. I was at a yard sale, bargain bin, convention junkie, and as such often read 
issues out of order. It really annoyed me to read a group mag and then read another with a completely different team makeup. It wasn't until college that my roommate was able to present the FF and Avengers in chronological order, and what a difference it made. Uh, then I was able to expand my library and got on board with teams. To the point, how about you guys? Do you prefer a team or a solo character? Does a constant revolving door of characters annoy you in comics? Or are you happy to see fresh faces and a broader chance for new storylines? Uh, so, Will, first, do you prefer teams or solo characters? I do tend to prefer solo characters. Uh, I don't know why. The stories are cleaner and more elegant, and there's just they're more tragic and epic. They're more internal Less to keep uh, track when of. When you've read team books, uh, does it bother you, the revolving door, like characters leaving and coming in and all that stuff? Yeah, it's like a, you feel there's less. It When I, I read X-Men in the early mm-hmm. 80s, Chris Claremont X-Men, and I did love it a great deal, but there's like a lack of forward movement. Like, you, you, you know, there's an issue about Storm and then Storm isn't featured again for like seven months. Yeah, it's a, I definitely prefer solo characters. Uh, right now we're in a period where I feel like there's so many team books. Maybe it's lessening somewhat. There was definitely a stretch where it felt like every new Marvel book was a new team book. Uh, mm. I like solo books because I like non-superheroes with my superhero. Mm. I get sort of um, bored if it's like just a bunch. I mean, some books make it work. I love Justice League International, for example. But I love Spider-Man because of Jonah and Mary Jane and Aunt May, like those mm-hmm. make it great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I read superhero books and they don't have uh, non-superheroes. And yeah. it, 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 I feel like it's a, it's a missed opportunity. It's one of the reasons Squirrel Girl, which is a humorous all ages comic is great is because she's got like normal yeah. friends. It's one of the reasons right. I really love Dan Slott because he tends to fill in supporting cast. He did a short run on Iron Man that just wrapped up very quickly. He established like, a lot of the co- people who worked for Stark uh, Resilience, I think it was called in that, Stark Unlimited, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And they were all interesting characters. I was like, I'd read a story just about the head of security. And that it just it gives uh, Iron Man more to play off of. And a lot of my favorite runs have the, the superhero playing off of normal uh, humans <laughs> uh, in a really fun way. And I think that's really interesting. I do like team books. And it's interesting because I think new lineups... Uh, excite people, mm-hmm. right? Because it's always like, who should we add to this team in the letters page? Mm-hmm. And people always writing in, it's like, oh, you should add Darkhawk or, or whoever. It's like whoever that person's yeah. personal favorite character is. And it is fun when new, like it was fun when Booster Gold joined Justice League, even though I didn't know who he was at the time. But when yeah. it's too much of that, it does bother me. Or like right. when a character no stasis. like shows up and then doesn't do much, uh, that's sort that's of boring. It's where Fantastic Four has the advantage, right? Because it doesn't have a lot of lineup changes. It does do them, but... very It's a big deal when it yeah, happens. Yeah, because it's those four. And there's years in between them. And really, it's always the four, right? You're always waiting for it to come back to Yeah, where like Avengers, there are the founders, but it isn't like... Eventually, it sort of becomes like, well, the big three are sort of important. Thor, Cap, and Iron Man. But mm-hmm. a lot of them, they're not always on the team, and it's not a big deal if they're yeah. not. And even if none of them are, it's not a huge deal. Like one of the biggest right. runs was when Brian Michael Bendis did, and I don't think Iron Man was in it. I'm sure Thor wasn't. I think it was just Captain America and a bunch of like street characters. Like it was Wolverine, Spider-Man, mm. Luke Cage. It was a huge hit. Huh. Um, but yeah, um, I sort of agree with him. But I, you know, there's been runs I've loved. I love Busaic's, um Avengers Thunderbolts. and Thunderbolts, uh, Grant Morrison's JLA and JLI that we've already covered. I love Fantastic Four when it's good. And like yeah. the lineup change in, in Burns, Fantastic Four is great. Taking the thing out, right. giving She-Hulk, it was awesome. It really worked great, which is crazy. You took out the best character. Yeah. It was, it was it's almost um, like you, would, yeah, it's like a you challenge. shouldn't do that. It's like, oh, yeah? It's like, let's make a Beatles album with no John Lennon singing. Can we still make it yeah. good? Uh, and he did. Uh, I mean, not that Beatles yeah. thing. The uh, <laughs> John Byrne comic. Anyway, yeah. uh, I like supporting cast is my main thing, though. Uh, good question, Ben. Thank you. Luke Prowse emails us. Uh, I, I have not read the Batman Year One, but I have watched the recent animated adaption. It was great. Have either of you seen it? How does it compare? How do you like animated versions of comics? Do you have opinions on this? Loving the show. So we talked a little bit about this. We both like the adaption. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was very faithful. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. I don't know what it would be like if you hadn't read the comic. Like I'm so familiar with mm-hmm. the comic that... I was almost just like excited to have the comic like read to me almost. Yeah. I don't know what it would be like if you had not read that story because I, yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I love, I love like Mask of the Phantasm. That was an original yeah. 
story that was in movie form and I found it really compelling. And it's on um, Netflix right now. I like the Justice League uh, Unlimited episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those are original stories and I found them really compelling. Batman the Animated Series is terrific. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's to me, it just comes down to, is it a good story? The what I, the examples I'm mentioning are good yeah. stories. Uh, when, it's, when it's pure adaptions, it's tricky no matter whether it's animated or not. Um, and I think a lot of them... Like Superman for all seasons, I did not enjoy, and I loved that comic book, but the mm. uh, the animated adaption I found boring or slow or something. Yeah, uh, and I and I, I never tried to rewatch it, so maybe I would like it more in a second watching. But I was like, oh, this isn't doing it for me. But then, like Dark Knight Returns, that adaption is maybe one of the best animated adaptions of anything. I remember being really excited by Dark Knight Returns, the animated. I, I think thing. it was just, really, I, just, I really, loved really it. well done. And then once in a while, there's like little ones. Like I think when Justice League Unlimited did their version of for, um, The Man Who's everything. everything, it's really that cool. And they can also, I like it when they can do, they're faithful, but also can do like slightly different things. Like there's a mm-hmm. moment in the episode where in the For the Man Who Has Everything, Superman is transported to like a dream world where he, Krypton yes. never blew up. And he's yeah. with his. And he's happy. He's with. And he's got a family. He's with the, his parents, Jor-El. And he has a kid. And in and, and the cartoon, they like had his wife be a little bit like a mixture of Lana and Lois. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like you could hear, I think it was Lois's voice and it looked a little bit mm-hmm. like Lana or something. But also like when he starts to wake up, Jor-El's voice turns into Pa Kent. Ah. It's like little things like that. You just uh, can't do in a You comic. can't do that in a comic. You can't do voice stuff. I think that's, yeah. I really get excited when like little moments like that happen. Like, like the comic book is still probably, it's still definitely better. But there's moments yeah. like that that are really great. And the Batman moment is really great in both versions. So it's, it's cool. For the man who was everything, is this one of my all-time favorite single-issue superhero stories? Great. Like, it was so affecting and moving and great. I mean, I was just completely blown away by yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Black Mercy comes back too much in comics now because people, anytime Alan Moore creates something, it's in every uh, yeah. issue of every comic that follows. But that story was yeah. phenomenal. Superman having to say goodbye to his son. Does he say, oh. like, I'm sorry, you're not real? Is that what he says? It's something like, I love you, and, and you mean so much to me, and I'm so sorry to say this, but I, I don't think you're real. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's brutal. It's it's tough, I think, sometimes to convey that in those sort of fictional worlds where it's like, oh, I really believe this is real, so I'm still losing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and But that comic did it, and the yeah, cartoon we, did it, it well. It got across how painful it was for him to let go. He knows it's an illusion, but he, he almost doesn't want to let go of it, but he has mm-hmm. to let go. Uh, what a great... What a great and story. I don't know what episode that oh is, gosh. but that's in the Justice League Unlimited series. It's just 20 minutes or so. Yeah. So that's a, we definitely recommend that. If you're a comic book fan, we're not the first people to mention yeah. it to you. We have uh, two, three more emails. Year one feedback. Hi, Kevin and Will, parentheses, Milk Sops. <laughs> uh, let me begin by saying how much I've enjoyed the podcast. I found the podcast when you guys were wrapping up season one, and I was happy to learn you decided to continue the to continue after the Spider-Man season. I was an avid Spider-Man reader collector as a kid, but I fell out of it as a teenager and only recently picked up the habit again when I was in grad school. Since I started reading and collecting again, I've been reading more broadly outside of just Spider-Man and Marvel, and I've been catching up on a lot of what I missed in my absence. Basically everything since 1989. Your podcast has given me an appreciation for an era of Spider-Man I wasn't very familiar with, which is kind of the idea. That's great. Uh, Thank you. Oh, it's such, so exciting to hear. Thank you for telling and us. And really an era of Marvel I didn't know much about. Your season on Fantastic Four was eye-opening. <laughs> uh, that's nicer than uh, tedious. That's generous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, this w- and this last season turned me on to the Justice League International, which I enjoyed and would likely have never read otherwise. I'm looking forward to the oh. Sandman season, uh, which will also be new to me, though I am aware of gaming. <laughs> that's to get to the uh, point of the email, I wanted to answer Will's request to hear from people who have never read Year One before. Oh, okay, great. Yes. Uh, Will seems dumb. That's just, no. Uh, <laughs> he says, wow, it's so good. I mean, honestly, what an incredible book. The art, the story, the pacing, the characterization, it's a masterpiece. Reading it prompted me to buy a lot of the other Batman trades I haven't read, including The Dark Knight Returns. I really liked The Dark Knight mm. Returns, but I have to say that Year One is clearly superior. While there were oh, aspects of TDKR that I loved, there were things about it that I didn't love. I also, okay. I don't love that particular portrayal of the Joker, for example. It hit me as bland and joyless. Mm. However, 
I can't think of a single point to critique in year one. So there it is. Just one man's opinion. Keep up the great work. Really appreciate you taking the time to tell us that. And even though we make jokes about it, even if you didn't like it, I, I would be curious, especially if you can articulate why I would be curious to know. But um, I actually can totally see what he that weirdly doesn't surprise me. I mean, Dark Knight Returns is a masterpiece as far as I'm concerned, and I love it. But it is complicated and dense and a bit more unfriendly as a piece of art. I can see what he's saying. Uh, I, I mean, I agree with his sentiment. I think we said as much when we were covering it. I think I read Dark Knight Returns first. I think I did not. That makes sense. It came out first. Uh, but I don't think I read Year One till much later. I think I'd probably read Dark Knight okay. Returns a few times before reading Batman Year One. And I don't know why that mm-hmm. would be other than I think just there's something about Dark Knight Returns that's so big and bold and, and the art is so interesting. Uh, so I think for a while when I was younger, I was like, oh, Dark Knight Returns is the best thing and Batman Year One is the other thing that Frank Miller did. And then mm-hmm, by the time mm-hmm. I was out of college, I was like, well, I think I read year one again. I was like, oh, no, this is perfect. And I've never switched again since then. But Dark Knight Returns is just good in a very different way. It probably ages yeah. a little worse, but not much. It definitely, I think, had a bigger impact, right? Like Dark Knight Returns transformed the industry. And I don't think year one did that. Yes. Dark Knight Returns, in a sense, people credit that with inspiring Burton to make Batman, which in 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 that like brought superheroes back to the mainstream in a real serious way and for good or for ill it introduced sort of the era of grittiness and pulp pulpiness in superhero stuff which got tedious but it it was a testament to its power that it had this effect but i think comics did need to shake off this idea that it's for kids now it's almost like comics are also for kids don't forget is what we're saying now about comics yeah yeah but for a while it was just sort of like everyone is like batman was adam west and silly and goofy Right, right. Like, Dark Knight Returns buried yeah. that. Uh, I remember for years after, whenever there would be a graphic novel, like it with nice paperback binding, we would call it Dark Knight format. Yeah, I remember that too. Be like, oh, it's coming out in Dark Knight format. Like that just meant collected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that just meant like nicely packaged. Yeah, and it, it might also mean like the individual issues were like ad-free, almost like yeah. uh, like little hardcover, but not quite uh, a collected quality. It meant prestige and good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I said this guy's name was James Rozier. He signed it Travis Rozier. So uh, I apologize, Travis. Uh, he gives a PS, would love a Secret War season. And I think that would be a fun season. Mm. I, I think we agree. That would be fun. Uh, yeah. We might do that as an excuse to just talk about Shooter a lot. Yeah, we're Jim Shooter fans. Although, when I, uh, yeah, I, I'm very curious about to revisit him. Uh, Graham, Graham Partridge David emailed us. Mm-hmm. Hi, Kevin and Will. Still loving the podcast. It's a treat to listen to guys my age with virtually the same comics collections. Get excited about them. Uh, I'm oh. the same way about my podcast. I love podcasts that are about things I already like. Yeah. I'm listening to a They Might Be Giants podcast right now and I'm eating it up. I'm listening. It's called a Don't Don't Let's Start. I'm listening to a Power Pack podcast and I feel silly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I listen to yeah, and I listen to podcasts and I'm just like, agree with me. <laughs> Yes, I'm realizing that that is part of the appeal. Like, you just kind of want to hear your feelings. Yeah. So I apologize, listeners, when we disagree with what you're thinking. I I know that's a bummer. It's the same thing when I like read reviews of shows I like. I'm like, oh, they better like it or I won't like this review. <laughs> I don't want you to try to change my mind. Yeah. Uh, and I don't read reviews of shows I don't like. Um, anyway, uh, I'm a little leery of Sandman, though. Even though I have read them and mm-hmm. I know how great they are, I still carry the bias of my 16-year-old self who got so sick of people telling him superheroes were passe and this was real art. Mm. Screw those guys. Yeah, that's no fun. I, I don't subscribe to that view. No. But uh, that doesn't make Sandman bad. No, Sandman is great. I mean, I think I struggled with it too when I was younger. For that same reason, it felt like, oh, this isn't, I want superheroes. And then later on, it's like, oh, I want everything. Uh, anyway, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the Venom movie. Have you seen the Venom movie, Will? Uh, no, but I've heard that people, everyone always kind of smiles like, eh, it's yeah. fun. That's what that's what I always heard about it. Um, I've never been a fan of the character particularly, but I love how loose the movie was. It allowed itself to be really goofy. In contrast, I rewatched Captain Marvel. Have you seen the Captain Marvel movie, Will? Oh, uh, with Brie yes. Larson? Yes, yes. Not Shazam. Not Shazam. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, I assume I he have means, not seen... I think he means Captain Marvel. Yes, he must mean Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to enjoy there, too. I got a little tired of them seeming to be just checking boxes. It was really busy making sure that we got the character we knew we were getting along with dump truck loads of 90s nostalgia signifiers yeah, i can, I can see, that. see that i did really i really loved I Captain, Marvel, Captain Marvel, but i can i can i don't know i saw it twice like i've watched it twice too i watched I d- it in theaters and, and then i uh watched it when it showed up on netflix or wherever i i do remember thinking this movie's kind of slight in a way like there's not a huge i don't know but i just 
it, I was just smiling the whole time. I just was on board for that ride, and I loved it. I've seen it. both movies. Um, I loved Captain Marvel. I, it was very fun. I thought Brie Larson was funny in it. She wasn't like quippy and, and Robert Downey Jr. funny, but I found yeah. her very charming and funny and great. And people people oh, were yeah. saying she wasn't funny, and I was like, I don't see that. I see a very funny I don't see that at all. character. And I lo- I think the sequence at the end, spoiler alert, um, where she gets, where she has like the, she's throughout the movie. She sees all the images of herself, like failing at things. Like as yeah. her memories are coming back, they're all of her failures for a while, like falling down and, and getting hit and yeah, getting pushed. This- and then at the end, she sees like the next moment in all those memories of her getting back up. Yeah. It's really, and I think great. that is a super powerful moment and I, maybe it didn't hit yeah. other people, but I saw the moment I was like, Oh no, that's was- what I want from a superhero movie is just getting back up. Yeah. I guess it's a trope in a way, but it was so well done. It's for sure. Like to, fe- to, to fetishize the fight back, never give up. But like, it's, I mean, it's Rocky. Yeah. It's right. We love it. Like, it's just, come on, give it. It's so fun to um, see. Qu- two quick digressions about that. Uh, sorry to do two, um, but I'm rereading this comic book, Spidey by Robbie Thompson, which is like, yeah, um, I saw you post about yeah, it. it's like a Spider-Man when he's in high school, sort of it. It's not quite in continuity, but it's the really good stories. They're sort of done in one issues. And there's one. That's sort of the story is about trying to balance his life. It's Spider-Man trying to balance being Spider-Man, being a student, being Aunt May's nephew. Um, and it's the issue. And that issue is where he decides to start taking photographs for the bugle to help Aunt May with her money problems. And when he gives Aunt May the money, she's like, how do you balance it all? And he goes, I just do what Uncle Ben taught me. I don't fall down. I was like, hmm. Ooh, that's a good line. <laughs> and then also there the recently was a Marvel crossover called Empire with a Y that was okay. pretty good. Uh, I mean, it's a crossover. It's sort of meaningless fluff in some ways, but every character's in it. And there's a se- thing has a big sequence where he is fighting a corrupted She-Hulk. Bear with me for a second. Mm. And <laughs> she's like, basically, once the thing is down, she's going to go and trigger some huge bomb or something or whatever it is. And she's like, why won't you die? And he's just, and the thing just gets up and he goes, because I can't. I'm the only one here. <laughs> and it's just one of the moments, just perfect thing moment of just like, yeah, you you pick the wrong guy if you need him to lay down. <laughs> yeah. He never does. Uh, and those moments are great. And I love that in Captain Marvel too. And Venom is fun. I think Venom is fun. I get, I had a little whiplash from tonally from that movie. It is really funny at times, but then it tries to be really dark and and, and the dark mm-hmm. stuff doesn't work with, with like, they make like a joke at the end about eating somebody. And I'm like, oh, you can't make me like this guy and then also have him devour people. Yeah. Uh, like, and not treat it like a seriously weird thing. Uh, and there's like certain moments in the movie that are sort of whiplashy like that. But I thought they did a pretty good job of making a Venom movie without Spider-Man, which seemed hard. Um, anyway, they're both good movies. I prefer Captain Marvel, but like like what yeah, you like thanks, is what thanks, I say. Thanks for sharing your opinion. Uh, it made me realize that a lot of this is back to uh, Graham's uh, email. It made me realize that a lot of the Marvel movies have that feeling of filling in the blanks storytellings to a certain extent. We know this character will appear in the next Avengers movie, so we have to make sure they have experienced this and that in time for the big event. Mm-hmm. I love most of them, mm-hmm. but there are drawbacks to the shared universe situation. I'm interested in your thoughts, providing you agree. I'm Canadian and dislike conflict. If you don't think I'm right, please just ignore <laughs> everything I said. I'm sure I agree with you. Oh, we're Canadian, too. Our mother was born yeah, in that's Canada. That's right. We're half Canadian, I, mean, I guess. We're born in America, but we are, we're technically Canadian citizens. I'm trying to prove my citizenship. Uh, are we really? Is that make us citizens? Yes. Um, our mother was born before 1947 in Canada, and so her children are automatically Canadian citizens. But you have to document it to get... You have to, it's called proving your citizen. I think if she was born later, it wouldn't necessarily be true. And our children are not yes. Canadian. Oh, citizens. that's cool. If you pull that off, let me know. Yeah. I'd, I'd also do that. I'm going to have to reapply. They didn't, they, I applied in April and I haven't heard any. I'm going to apply uh, again. Don't apply during, well, there's a pandemic going on. I said, I, I, I renewed my passport in early March and it was like, you'll get it back in six weeks. And I got it like a week ago. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I wow. thought I was never, I thought I lost my old passport because you mail in your old one. Uh, yeah. And then I can't. When I did that, that's fun. I did that in um, 2011 and I took two weeks just er- yeah. earlier and time. Sometimes it's so quick, but it, like mail just shut down for a while. Uh, I sort of see what he's saying about Avengers movies or the Marvel MCU. Being, I, I see it too. It's like, it's a trade off. Like the share. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the, the, they're a little fill in the blanks. Uh, I don't necessarily, uh, some of the early ones felt like we need to have Hawkeye show up or whatever. But for the most part, the movies mostly felt like we want to tell the story. This one beat is the only thing you're really forcing onto the, it seems like Marvel tries to do a pretty good job of letting the picking a creator and then letting the creator tell the story they want to tell. 
Uh, I don't think they always they, are successful, but the movies still have the sameness because they're all in the same reality. So the bad guys yeah. have the same sort of feel. Like I felt like a lot of Iron Man villains uh, for a while. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're good, but yeah, they, uh, I, I don't understand people who binge watch them all in a row. It seems like that would just that would get really show boring, their yeah. flaws. Uh, if I feel like that Marvel's movies are well controlled and it's a good and a bad side to it, like they're generally good, but they're rarely awesome. And DC movies seem to be just very way more wildly like they are either garbage, just like you can't even watch them. Or they're kind of unique and different and strange. Like, you know, Wonder Woman was like, there was something different going on in Wonder Woman. Yeah. Joker. I really like Joker. A lot of my smart friends tell me that I'm dumb to like Joker. I haven't seen it yet still. I I really liked it. And I can say at least it was not a typical superhero movie. It's not a typical Marvel movie, for example. So I don't know. Yeah, I just watched the... I kind of know what I'm getting with a Marvel movie. And I don't see them all. I didn't see Ant-Man vs. Wasp. I didn't... The Harley Quinn... and Birds of Prey movie is very weird and strange, and I sort of love it for that. I don't think it's a great movie, but it was very fun to watch, and I yeah, want that director to, to make more movies because it just felt it had personality to it. I do get that check the box feeling from Marvel movies. I think that's why people liked but Ragnarok they, so much because it felt a, a, at least a step different. Yes, it, the the humor really changed it, and they made the grandeur of Black Panther kind of the epicness that was like some of these movies they 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 transcend the yes, mold. But, a few uh, of them are. Uh, super yeah uh graham also sent us a, co- a comic he has made and i will send that to you mm-hmm. will called max velocity he said cameron would get a kick out of it so that's my son cameron or evan as he's sometimes called so i'll send that to you will so you can read it as well i haven't read it yet uh graham but mm-hmm. i uh Thank i'm excited you, yes. to, to read well, it uh one more this is okay. robert christ uh hey just listening to the episode four just now listening to issue four episode of year one and you mentioned mm-hmm. to let me to let you know if we are enjoying it Although I thoroughly enjoy superheroes, I haven't enjoyed comics. I wasn't given or shown them as a kid when I read the old classics. They are old and corny. The modern stuff visually isn't appealing, whether it's a graphic design penciling style or the choice of words. For whatever the reason, they haven't interested me, interested in me, sadly. Earlier in okay. 2020, on Batman Day, Amazon had a deal for Batman comics, super cheap. So naturally, I bought The Killing Joke, Long Halloween, Year One, Dark Knight Returns, and maybe another. Okay. Dark Knight was too gross. Hated the art. Just too much machismo and grit. Uh, Killing okay. Joke was gross, and maybe because it, it's been referenced so much, I already knew the climax, and it wasn't interesting. Uh, waiting to All read right. Long Halloween closer to Reeves the Batman, which they say is inspired oh. by that, uh, okay. comes out and try to catch the parallels. But year one, wow, what a story. The art was okay, sort of mm. old newspaper cartoon look, but modern at the same time. The plot development kept giving more and more, but bit by bit, and there wasn't... A dull moment. Strong connections to Gordon more than Bruce, but we care about them. Fun learning about their trials at the start of their careers. Failure, not all glam. And the internal dialogue was fun, uh, although much more or much more or done in another way would have gone too macho for me. It was fantastic. And the mm-hmm. only book I kept, Verdict to Come on Long Halloween. Um, <laughs> wow. So it's a, uh, uh, yeah, I mean. I'm glad to, glad to hear it. I mean, we, of course, adore you. Yeah, it is. The, I do think this comic transcends in a way that like even people who don't love comics love this one i get what he said about the machismo of dark knight like it is just like a very male tough tough comic and i can sort of see that as a reason to not like it i mean i can see that in year one being like oh if you amped it up five percent more it might be too much although the art which he is a little bit sort of yeah uh dismissing i think is part of the reason for that softness like the art softens miller's script in a good way i I mean i think the art is beautiful Um, yeah but we do appreciate hearing yes. your real opinion. Um, yeah. And it definitely helps to not have, I mean, Miller just draws almost angry. <laughs> yeah. Like very angular and s- severe and stylized and Mazzuccelli is just easier on I the eyes. I think he's not going to like Long Halloween. I think it's going to be too, I don't know. I'm curious. I'll be, it's not as amped up as Dark Knight. It's not as amped up, but it, uh, the villains are so in your face in that. It's such a, it's like a villain showcase. Yeah, uh, I'll be curious. I'd love to hear what you think of Long Halloween when you read it, Robert. And that is all the emails we have in the box. Well, so we, we cleaned so it up. So if out. you want to email us, we're, we are screwitspidey at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, and a Twitter account, screwitcomics. Please follow us in all those places. Yeah, and uh, come back next week when we cover issue 22 of Sandman, chapter one Season. of Seasons of the Mist. Bye, everybody. Bye. Comics. 
Hi, this is Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead. For the full month of October, My Neighbors Are Dead is going all in on the Friday the 13th series. And the best part is, we're up in our episodes to twice per week as we talk to all kinds of crazy characters from the world of Camp Crystal Lake, played by tons of amazing guests. Two episodes per week, all month long. Join us for My Neighbors Are Dead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. 